All right, everybody, I am here today with Eric Goldberg. He is the VP of Sales for Sound Payments. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, James, for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited today to talk about uh, fuel stations, um, not only because it's one of these verticals that you know doesn't ever shut down, really, um, but also because uh, we're going to talk about some of these EMV deadline things that are really coming up really fast right now. It's something that agents and ice coast can can really capitalize on. But before we get into any of that, Eric, uh, I always love to hear the backstory of the people that we're interviewing. So if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about how you got into this crazy industry, how you ended up at Sound Payments, into this fuel stuff. So appreciate the question. So I was working in franchising um, and I was in restaurants I've pretty much my whole life in terms of sales, uh, business sure. aspect, uh, every level of it. And uh, I was presented with an opportunity to, to sell software in the restaurant space. So this was very exciting for me because I had been operationally sales wise sure. sort of in that scene, immersed in it. And now I've got a chance to sort of go a little bit out, outside my shell and to sort of get into software and the payments world. So um, I worked for a, a company that was, you know, a, a subscription-based SaaS model, and we uh, went out and were processor agnostic and sold restaurant point of sale throughout the country. And I helped lead the channel. It was a lot of uh, language barrier uh, things I helped, you know, in terms of making it U.S. look and feel. Uh, long story sure. short, um, I had an opportunity presented to me. Uh, I heard about sound payments. I, I spoke to the team, um, and I, I learned that this company was not actually a payment company, although the name you know, Sound Payments were a, a payment solutions company. Uh, but I learned that we had small business point of sales for, that would sort of go after the uh, the kind of Clover Square market that was processor agnostic. We had some banking solutions. Uh, we were working on a petrol solution that I'll be talking about today. Uh, so. How I got here was just meeting the team, learning more about the company, and I made the transition from, from working in, in software in the restaurant space uh, and payments to the sort of uh, retail, petro, banking environment here at Sound Payments. So I'm excited about it, um, and, and that's where I'm at today. Awesome. So um, so where I want to start at, there's really two primary kind of reasons that we wanted to do this interview right now. Um, the first one being the coronavirus situation, which we'll talk about, and then also this EMV deadline. So let's start off with kind of the current context around gas stations. So, you know, obviously this is a vertical that, you know, it's not been hit maybe as hard as, as say, retail or restaurant. Obviously, like a lockdown that, you know, is starting to be more of a problem where people are not allowed to drive, you know, very far. But can you give us a little context? I mean, where are we at right now with fuel stations with this like particular vertical? So right now, you know, with this particular vertical, the October 1st, there's a deadline, uh, and that is when the liability for fraud, chargebacks, anything that takes place at the pump um, it will now be shifted over to the actual gas station owner, the, the actual merchant themselves. So where we're at today is, you know, if these merchants don't start upgrading their pumps to accept EMV transactions, if they don't uh, start doing that, you know, they're going to incur all the fraud and liability. So there's a, a major survey that everyone, you know, looks at and an organization called Connexus that came out. They said about, you know, 40% uh, of the market um, or more uh, will not be ready by the October 1st deadline. Wow. Um, and, you know, the ways that people can upgrade today that are out there, we'll get into some of the different solutions, but it's either a full pump, uh, you know, replacement, the manufacturer retrofit, which is very cost intensive as, as well, and uh, it's both sides of the pump, or there's us, which is a, a really cost effective, time effective solution 
Uh, we took a different look at it. So right now the market is scrambling. Some of them are on hold because of COVID and uh, uh, what's going on. They don't know what to do. They can't get permits or there's holdups in their supply chains. Some are saying, we're going to risk it. We're not going to upgrade. We're just going to just run out and see what happens. And then others are actively trying to upgrade right now. So that's where the market stands. Sure. So, so basically what you're saying is there is this EMV deadline that's coming up. And for those that don't really understand that, you know, there, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in the industry around like, you know, so, you know, they have to pay at the pump. If they don't, is it illegal? Is it not compliant? You know, and what it really is, is it's just, it's a liability shift to where there are going to be these transactions that are fraudulent transactions that normally the, the uh, issuing banks and the card brands would take liability for, but that liability is going to shift to the fuel stations after this deadline is over if they're not taking, uh, you know, chip cards at the pump. Is, is that is that about right? That's correct. It's not illegal to not, you know, they're not going to give tickets for not having right. uh, EMB enabled pumps. It's just simply the banks, the card networks are saying, hey, listen, 2015, it came out in retail EMV. They gave you a three-year extension to, sorry, two-year extension, 2017, and then a three-year extension to 2020. And what have you done? since then. And a lot of the times uh, it's kind of empty, empty answer. So the banks uh, don't want to pay for the $451 million uh, of fraud they anticipate next year. Uh, so, you know, that, that's where it's at. It's sort of people Got need it. to upgrade, not just for themselves, but for the consumer to feel safe when they go to make a transaction. Sure. Now, one thing, I just want to back up for one second and, and kind of off topic a little bit, but um, so we're recording this on Monday, March 30th. Uh, right now, it's not going to go out for a couple weeks. But when we're recording this right now, just out of curiosity, Eric, have you seen any data on the way that the coronavirus is is or is not affecting fuel stations? Have you seen volume numbers or like do you have any context at all on kind of how they're being impacted by the coronavirus situation? So yeah, and firstly, you know, just on behalf of our company, I'm sure yourself too. We're, it's, we're, our hearts go out to the first responders and everyone out there. It's, it's Absolutely, such a tough time for our country and. Um, you know, our company is very big on small businesses. So right. we are trying to do everything we can to help uh, as we can. But to answer your question, I just sat on a call today. It was the um, Petroleum Marketers Association of America. I believe it was the Florida Petroleum Marketers Association. Okay. And we had about 50 people on the call. And it was all fuel, petroleum, and convenience store uh, people. And, you know, it couldn't be the perfect question to ask me because literally that people were saying they'd seen probably – 10 to 15% drop off uh, or more in some areas. Um, they're doing certain things like putting antibacterial at the pump sure. uh, and in the store, six, putting tape down six feet away. They're uh, not doing coffee anymore to, you know, self-serve coffee or sandwiches. So it's hitting their environment pretty well. I mean, but it's not as, you know, hard hit as say restaurant or, you know, in-store retail. Right. This is something where we can remote key inject we can have one person install the pump. We can sell the solution over the phone and work with them and, and learn about their station and, 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 what, and what that setup's like. Um, so as much as it's sort of, you know, hitting the industry and then you have a fuel trade war, you know, right. fuel's the cheapest it's ever been at the same time. So there's a lot of pieces wow. going on, but we seem to be yeah. very sustaining. Sure. Right sure. Yeah. And it, it is interesting because, 
even when I typed up these questions, which was maybe a week and a half ago, you know, in the questions I had typed up, like, oh, I got to prepare for this interview. I, I typed up like, well, of course, the fuel industry is not being hit by this at all. <laughs> and then it's like, since then, the report came out that, hey, the virus gets spread through fuel pumps with people are all touching it. And so, you know, just it's, you know, just so many different things that's happening so fast. And so, um, you know, it's very, very interesting. So you're saying that the people on this call were seeing 10 to 15 percent drop, uh, maybe more, which is, of course, devastating and significant for those business owners, but nothing like the 70, 80, 100 percent drop that a lot of the small restaurants and retail establishments are seeing, right? That'd be correct. Yep. Yep. So, okay. All right. So now that we've got that, let's let's dive in a little deeper to this EMV thing. So again, you know, the rationale for doing the interview right now is this is a, a vertical that while it is certainly being impacted negatively by the coronavirus and the ensuing, you know, lockdown and stay at home orders, um, it has, you know, it's still operational. Um, and then because of that, it's a good time to target them also because of this EMV deadline. So let's dig deeper into the EMV deadline. So, um, can you give us some, um, you know, some examples of how these you know, gas stations might have to upgrade their pumps? So in other words, what are the other options if we take you guys out of the equation and we look at your competitors? How would I, as a fuel station, independent fuel station owner, upgrade my pumps to do this pay at the pump? What are the costs associated? Give us a little context of that if you could. Okay, perfect. So, so stations are going to have a few options and they're looking to their merchant services or their pump servicing companies for a solution before this deadline. So those are the kind of two major groups that are involved in this. The, the right. ISOs that have merchant service, you know, have, have gas stations in their portfolios and the people that service the pumps. So solution A is the gas station can buy a new pump and a complete system. Of course, this is what the pump manufacturers want them to do, and they may not have a choice if the pump is too old. Um, some of the benefits to buying a brand new pump are that you know it should work. Um, you know, the, right. the disadvantages are that it's very expensive. It's new hardware and software. There's not a downtime for the business. Um, and let's just take a four-pump convenience store uh, to upgrade equipment this way. Uh, your downtime can be up to one month for you know, infrastructure ad uh, adaptation. Uh, four fuel dispensers at $15,000 each is about $60,000. Um, monthly SAS fees around 1000 These are some general numbers sure. that we've seen in the industry. Uh, but then you look at the cost of in-ground tanks, construction, loss of in-store revenue, it could be upwards of $200,000. So that's wow. solution A. And I've met a lot, I've met a lot of people like that. Sure. They own gas stations. They saved for five, 10 years and they bought everything brand new and ripped up concrete. So, but not everybody has that money or that time. Sure. Right? So that, that's solution A. Uh, B would be to retrofit your existing pump and system. That's what we're looking to do. But the existing solutions out there are made by the pump manufacturers. And those, the two big elephants in the room are Gilbarco and Wayne. Most pumps are those model, are those manufacturers. Okay. So they've created their own retrofits, but those can cost between you know five and, and eight thousand per side. Uh, they still have very high monthly you know SAS fees, and they don't retrofit all pumps. So even that cost to the owner, you know, say it's seven thousand dollars per side of the pump. You're almost buying a new pump that's greater than fifty thousand dollars for the station. Right. So. But the reason they Option would do that, C, the reason they would do that is because yeah. of, of not having the downtime. Is that the idea? Well, the reason they would do that is because let's just say that they work with a jobber, right? There's a common term in the industry. There are people that they're fuel jobbers. They are experts. They uh, in the fuel and the convenience side, they provide fuel to stations. So the jobber, they might have a relationship with them, and they may be, and they may 
be, it might be something that, that they can just do for them because they already have a relation. They already work with the manufacturers. Sure. So they already have the solution, but it's very expensive. Like who has the, the $14,000 per pump? It's seven per side. Right. right? And there's still downtime right. because sometimes it involves, you know, ripping up stuff. Sometimes it doesn't. Point is, it's still a very cost intensive retrofit. Got it. Ours is option C, which I would say is the, oh, we have an EMV easy pump and it comes in about a half to a third of the cost. It doesn't involve closing down the station or ripping up concrete. Um, and then it's actually semi-integrated. So the solution is safer. So we've taken the approach of retail semi-integrated payment device. And we put that in the pump. So we can come in you know, at significantly lower prices. We can retrofit the existing equipment. We've looked at all the different major pumps and so we can retrofit those pump doors. We use the existing POS software in most cases, and it's hours versus weeks to implement. Uh, you, you could, you could uh, phase this in. Uh, we, we have the ability to do one pump and, and keep going from there. Um, and then we eliminate PCI scope by removing all the sensitive data from the in-store system. Um, so besides the, that's kind of a cherry on top. Besides the fact that we're one half to a third cheaper, we have removed the payment functionality from the four-court controller, which is a piece of hardware that in the current environment does all the payments, and that's where there's hacking and phishing. So we're, we're, we're semi-integrated. Everything's secure payment-wise, direct to host. Got it. Okay, so let me see, you know, as somebody who's not, you know, the ultimate uh, fuel payments expert here, let me see if I can rephrase this and see if I if I understand it. So it sounds like what you're saying is there's three three options. You know, every fuel station basically has to do this pay at the pump by the deadline or they're going to have this liability, which is going to be a huge incentive for them to move forward rather quickly. So it sounds like what you're saying is there's three options. Option one is I could just rip my pumps up, tear up the concrete, put in new pumps. That's going to be expensive. I'm going to be down for a month. So that's definitely not ideal. Um, option number two is um, there are these retrofits that already exist in the industry that are going to be sold by the the you know their existing jobbers or whatever that provide fuel and these relationships they already have but in that case it's still going to be a cost of i think you said like seven thousand aside right so like fifteen or fourteen thousand a pump yeah, between five and eight okay yep. all right so they're going to still pay a lot of money also it sounds like you're saying that retrofit is still running through the existing hardware you mentioned like the four port controller is that what you're saying that it's still running yeah, through that same thing which is why there's a little more maybe setup involved or something Right. So essentially, think of a desk, like an old school desktop computer okay. and put it on its side. That in the Petro world is called a four-court controller. Okay. F-O-R-E-C-O-U-R-T. Uh, and that basically is a hub where the point of sale speaks to it, their payment device speaks to it as a pump, and that's where all that data lives, and then it goes to the processor for payment. So we've actually eliminated the need for the four core controller to process payments. We just I use see. it now to activate the pumps. Got it. So basically you're saying that controller impacts things like, you know, turn this pump on so people could start pumping fuel, which is something it should do, but it also has payment data passing through it, which you're saying is something that in an ideal world, it wouldn't do that. Right. So for example, about a month and a half or two months ago, even more recently too, there's been large C store, uh, chains that have been hacked. Right. And what happens is there's a phishing email that gets sent without it open on the point of sale or it's, uh, you know, put in the actual payment device, the pump. So what they're doing is 
they're able to get in through one of those two areas and then get to the four-core controller where all the payment device uh, payment data lives. Sure. So whether they get it, you know, so it's just very kind of at risk in that, in that environment. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. So, so now let's, so then let's go to the third option, which is the solution you have, which, which I want to make sure you mention here, the fact that, you know, this is processor agnostic, like that you guys are a solutions provider that are looking to obviously work with ISOs that already have this existing distribution to go out and, and find clients. But, but talk to us a little bit about that. But beyond that, what is the cost and the actual time frame of implementation look like with what you have to offer? Uh, so yes, we are, are, the product itself is certified to first data bypass. Uh, which is about 60 to 65% of the market. Right. Uh, we are processor agnostic though, but we looked at the low hanging fruit and said, hey, we're going after the unbranded market, which we're getting to what unbranded means. Sure. Um, and this is what most of them process with. So we're also very close to Heartland um, and the, the, both their branded and unbranded search being done. Um, so how quick can we do this? Um, essentially what we're doing is we're going out, we're educating the reseller, which is either the fuel jobber or the ISO mm -hmm. or agent, and we're giving them different variables, a survey, if you will, to find out what stations line up. So if they have first data bypass, you know, a Verifone Commander or a uh, Gilbarco or a Wayne Fusion four-core controller, we look at which, which four-core controller they have, and then we sell our solution accordingly. And they have buy rates on all of them. Uh, software and hardware, and a typical install can be, you know, in as quick as 15 minutes or a day, depending on the setup. Sure. So it's just a matter of finding the, which variables line up for that site. But but again, even a day, you know, earlier you were talking about being down for like potentially a month with some of these other solutions. I mean, for a fuel station, they understand this is a once in a five year upgrade. So being even down for a day is significantly better than the other options. It sounds like right. Yeah, they totally get it. I mean, I get some calls sometimes from gas station owners themselves. And a lot of the times our resellers, you know, whether the agents or the drivers will bring me on calls with gas station owners. Right. And I hear it straight from them. They're like, we don't have enough money. We can't close our store. We have two pumps. You know, we can't afford the $15,000 pump. Um, you know, they don't know what to do. So right. even if, if they're closed for a day, which sure. uh, again, we can, we don't have to do that. We can phase it in, do one pump. Oh, it's sure. It's still cheaper sure. than the, the alternative. Now, so, and I know you can't get really exact numbers because obviously it's going to vary based on a lot of different things, but can you give us some kind of context? Like, let's say I'm, I'm that fuel station owner, I've got two pumps, and I, I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of these pump owners or one of these fuel station owners where it would work with what I have. What kind of cost am I looking at up front, and what's the monthly kind of cost to the ISO that they can potentially mark up? All right, so let's. Okay, so for example purposes, let's just say that in a two-pump gas station that the reseller is able to retrofit each pump for $3,000. To total or per both side? Both sides of a pump. Total, so 1500 okay. per side. Got it, okay. We would invoice the reseller $6,000 for, 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 that, for that deal. And then we would charge a monthly per device for the software and service. Which is a, say it's just around twenty dollars. So twenty dollars per per point, side or twenty dollars per pump? per device. Per device. Twenty dollars per, per payment device. So in this case, there's four devices. Got so it. So in okay. this case, would be an invoice for six thousand dollars hardware and um, eighty dollars for the um, software. And then you, the reseller, would then go mark that up to the gas station owner. So at three thousand dollars a pump, you can you know 
charge whatever you want. We, we don't dictate that. You can charge 5000 you can charge 6000 You can make a lot of margin and still come in very, uh, you know, much lower than the other solutions. Right. And I think, and, too, I think the other thing that's really important to point out here is, ga- I don't know the numbers on this, but I would imagine that gas stations probably have one of the lowest levels of attrition in the entire industry of, like, all verticals, right? Because it's so hard to switch. Right. It's it's very difficult. I mean, and just looking at this market, you know, looking at how Europe, you know, Europe is semi-integrated at the pump. You know, the United right. States is, is fully integrated. Just like I talked about that sort of flow to the forecourt. Right. Uh, so we're very sort of much, that's why we work with the resellers very closely to identify which pumps the stations have. I'm working with a lot of fuel companies that have hundreds or thousands of stations that, you know, are surveying their people. They'll say, hey, but... 400 of our pumps are EMV enabled. And then when we dig deeper, we find out they're obsolete because they were certified two years ago. Right. And they need brand new certs and it's up. So we really got to dig in. But yep. the buy rates we're offering and the solution we have is very time and cost effective. Got it. And so, okay, so let, let's dig into a couple things you just said, though. So over the last few minutes here, I want to dig into, to, first of all, the processing options. So if I heard what you were saying correctly... If an ISO wants to offer the solution and they want to make money off of the payment processing, which they can certainly do because it's processor agnostic, they would have to currently offer first data bypass and you're moving towards, it could also be maybe a Heartland rep or somebody that's working with Heartland because you have that as well. But it has to be right now through first data bypass and or Heartland, which is running like, what is that, 90% of the market or something? That's correct. So okay. they're going to hear one of those two. They're, they might even hear FIS WorldPay. They have a, a part of the market share as well. But you're, you're going to hear mostly First Data and Heartland, which Heartland will have very shortly too. I got it. Okay, good. And I they think have though, to put it through that. Right. And I think most of the resellers that would be listening here probably would actually be doing the First Data Bypass anyway. A lot of them already have access to that right. for you know the fuel station verticals. So that's not a huge issue. So we talked about that. Then on the on the pricing side, you know, just to clarify, you're saying – the competitors right now are charging somewhere like fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars per pump to do this retrofit. You're saying the cost is for you guys maybe around three thousand, meaning there, there's a lot of potential margin there. Either they want to give them a really well, good me, deal, or you know, just let me just real quick. So the, the, our competitors can retrofit each side, yeah, for for seven or or six, depending on, right. on which one. I've heard they, the prices fluctuate between five to eight, Got but it. yeah, total per pump. Um, yes, I just want to clarify those numbers. Got it. Okay, got it. So let's let's use the side numbers to to, to make it more clear. So you're saying yeah. the competitors right now are ranging between five to eight thousand per side for a retrofit. You're providing your resellers a cost of roughly fifteen hundred dollars per side. Correct. Right. Okay. So there's markup opportunity there. Um, then also on the monthly side, and this is a number you I think you mentioned earlier. Were you saying that the average? What, what's like the average recurring that your competitors are charging versus your twenty dollar per side cost on the on the recurring revenue? So according to some of the the figures we've seen, uh, it could be roughly a thousand dollars a month in SaaS fees uh, with the other competitors out there, um, like your Wayne and your and your Gobarcos. Okay. Uh, we are coming in at roughly $20 per month per unit as a buy rate. And that means we can do that's You know, we can do all the support. We can do pieces of the, of the support. So uh, then you would go out and mark that up Got to, it. The, to the, um, to the gas. So even if you come in at $40 a month or $50 a month, if you double your, your buy rate, you're still coming in, you know, 
that it's four pumps. Right. You're still coming in $500 or more cheaper per month than the competitor. Got it. And so this is a potential residual opportunity for them because you have this $20 kind of buy rate. They could go in and maybe mark that up by, you know, overall, maybe it's a $300 markup or something. And so there's that residual opportunity there while they're still offering something significantly cheaper than the competitors. Right. Got it. And that the the cherry on top is that you get the merchant services as well because we don't we're not NISO we're not a gateway we don't do any merchant services of any kind I know you know Sound Payments can, looks like an ISO type of name uh, but we are a, a payment solutions company so we, we don't we will, will not compete against you right. uh, we simply work with you that's awesome okay so now let's talk about the question that all of our listeners are thinking of which is that sounds great but how on earth am I going to sell a fuel station I normally sell retail or restaurant or whatever or maybe they've sold fuel stations but they've never been involved in the pump side of it help me understand kind of this walkthrough uh, I'm an individual agent or I'm a small ISO what what do I have to know how like how does this work like how much of an expert in fuel do I have to become in order to work with you guys so really, you know, the key indicators, uh, it's not a ton of, of, of new learning, really, because you're already, you know, selling point of sale, you're already selling merchant services, so you understand those types of relationships. What we look for are unbranded gas stations. So it might take knocking on the door, even if it looks like it might be a Shell or an old Chevron, it, it, it might be unbranded. And I should just clarify before I jump into these factors, um, unbranded gas stations have the flexibility to make the types of relationships like with companies like us, vendors, they have more flexibility. They're not a part of uh, you know, a large organization being told you know, what to do or who to process with, et cetera. So I just wanted to clarify the difference. Right. Um, but really, just like a conversation I had yesterday, we had a kickoff call with a reseller. We said, please go out and find your unbranded stations, find out the pump manufacturer and the type, find out the four-court controller manufacturer and type. The credit card processor must be First Data or Heartland. Um, and then once you figure those four major variables out, that's the, that's the low-hanging fruit. I mean, you're already doing processing, so you would just set this up with uh, the same merchant ID. You would add different TIDs and you know, use the pack store portal. Uh, you would have access to our portal. So once these four line up, we start talking about Wi-Fi and different station setup. So it's really not too uh, thought or, you know, sales intensive it's more probing finding out because each station you'll find has different setups they might have gilbarco pumps and a wayne forecourt they might have wayne pumps and verifone commander forecourt so we try to find those makeups and then sell the solution accordingly and then what about the actual installation process i'm assuming that the sales representative would have potentially no involvement in that or what what's what's the the deal there as far as once the sales actually made so the salesperson will really be facilitating. I mean, we, we're a high-touch tech high touch company. Um, so what we would do is uh, say that we signed the, this agent up as a, you know, we're doing all support. Um, we would simply work with the, the fuel, whoever services the pumps. Uh, they would uh, be the people that got trained on our product. So they wouldn't be necessarily calling the agent or the, or the reseller. They would be calling us because we would be doing the support and working right. with the installation people. Um, yeah. Awesome. Love it. So I, I, what it really sounds like to me is it sounds like what you're saying is that the primary function of the, the ISO or the sales partner in this situation is gathering that data and kind of taking your pre-created survey questions and stuff out there and 
finding these unbranded stations and just finding out what solution they have to see if they would potentially be a fit for the for the the software and then kind of bringing that back to you to, to create that you'll know, come up with that proposal and and even maybe jump on the phone with them and the fuel station owner to kind of finalize the deal is that is that sound about like what the sales process is absolutely and and let me tell you there's going to be you know uh, they're going to be welcomed with open arms when people find out that there's a solution where they can retrofit their existing pump yes. you know at a third of the cost <laughs> right and you know at just a flash they're going to say wow and then, you know, in most cases, you might already be doing their merchant services ready. So they have right. that great trust relationship. Exactly. Um, in other ways, again, you're coming to them with a solution that is like music to their ears. But our salespeople make ourselves very available um, to help you know, educate um, and you know, work with you. Yep. Awesome. Love it. Well, man, Eric, this has just been really great. I think it's such good information. It's so good for our audience. We haven't talked about fuel stations on the podcast in a while. So I think it's really good for them to kind of understand this a little bit and also to have this awareness of a true processor agnostic solution. So I know a lot of them are going to want to reach out and and talk to you more about this. Um, Where would you send them? Um, so no, I appreciate it. Uh, what I would say is please feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, you know, it's Eric Goldberg, uh, on my LinkedIn, or our website has a great uh, Petro page where you can see a EMV countdown to when the deadline hits, uh, and you can click contact and put some of your information in. Um, and we also have a really cool webinar that we're going to be launching in about two weeks, April 15th at 2 p.m. Uh, we're going to be working with the uh, one of the Petroleum Marketers Associations and talking about you know our solution and what to do, kind of a thought leadership uh, education type of thing. So awesome! Uh, p- feel free to reach out. Awesome. Wow. Sounds great. Eric, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be reaching out to you to learn more about this. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. You know, James, uh, we've been talking a lot over the last uh, several weeks. I've been sort of throwing out a lot of numbers about the economic impact of COVID-19, and I think it's probably a good assessment to say that it's been a pretty dramatic impact. Yes, um, for sure. But I do want to, you know, and I didn't, this week I wanted not to focus too much on the numbers. I wanted to, you know, offer something else. But I did have something that came across my desk yesterday that I thought was worthwhile to throw out there. And it came from the ETA, you know, just pointing to some bright spots that we're seeing. And uh, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, healthcare is still a, br- a bright spot, you know. Uh, 67% of healthcare businesses that remain open say they've grown their sales in the past month. Wow. Yeah, for sure. You know, and uh, I thought it was also interesting that, uh, you know, they're seeing a lot of small business owners that are still open are seeing an increase in debit card usage. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's on the order of maybe 10 to 20%. But Is that because consumers have all maxed out their credit cards? 
I think it's either they've maxed out their credit cards or they're afraid about maxing out their credit yeah, cards. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. It's like, ah, I'm just putting my credit cards aside for a while, right. you know? <laughs> I don't need to run out those balances right now, <laughs> you sure. know? And yeah. I think there's a lot of people like that. Let's face it, a lot of us are staying home. Sure. And we're not going out to restaurants and stuff, so maybe we're just trying to spend the money that we know we have. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I could definitely see that. But what I really wanted to do this week is, James, is I wanted to offer something um, for the ISO and the aging community. You know, when we did our webcast, what, uh, about a week ago, I guess now. Right. You know, I, I was talking, to, you know, in my segment, I, I mentioned how people need to communicate. You know, agents really need to be out there communicating with their merchants. Right. And and I received, you know, quite a few calls and text messages from people after that saying, well, how do I do this? Sure. And so I thought, you know what I did? It, so I sat down and I put together an email template. Okay. And I kind of went through my head and, and conversations you and I have had, what came out of the webinar, conversations I've had with ISOs and agents as I've researched some stories for the green sheet and, and for our, our podcast. And I came up with this template that, ha uh, that offers seven ways to help your business survive COVID-19. Nice. Great subject yeah. line. Yeah. And um, I know... Uh, for the folks out there, James and I have just put this up so that you can download this template. You just have to go to ccsalespro.com slash COVID email. And it's a Word document. You can take it and you know, massage it to your own personal uh, you know, company use. But I think you know, the important thing is, is that these are not only things that will help your merchants. They're going to help you as well. You know, sure. some of these things that I'm going to mention, and I'm just going to give you a high level look at what I what I listed well, out here. And uh, before before you do that, let's back up for uh -huh. just one second. So just to clarify, sure. so everybody understands this listening, that is a, a Word document, which means it's not going to it's not going to download correctly on your smartphone. Um, Correct. And so, again, it's the link was ccsalespro.com slash covid email no spaces no dashes all lowercase covid email and again you're going to want to do that on your desktop and it's going to download a docx file a, a word document file so when you go to that link it'll immediately pop up the dialog box that you can then click save and then you can save that to your uh to your computer and then you can open it in, in uh, microsoft word Correct. and make edits to it to your computer to your pc your laptop or whatever right yeah and then once you have it you can massage it as you need you know as you see fit for your own purposes yep awesome so, uh, so yeah, let me let me just go through these uh, seven seven steps, seven ways, and and maybe you know some of them, James, you and I might want to talk about a little bit. Sure. Uh, obviously, the first one is the federal government loan programs. I mean, these offer a really important lifeline for small businesses impacted by COVID nineteen, and um, you know, it's 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 a that's a very fluid situation. So I would not <laughs> get into it <laughs> a lot of details. <laughs> But yeah. I would include a link, you know, yes. to the SBA right. uh, website where you can get updated information. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, I think while we're on that, if you don't mind, let me let me give two or three really quick things about that. Sure, that, that, that have uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, saying it's a fluid situation again is kind of an understatement. It's it literally changes by the hour. Yes. Um, so where we're at as of the time of this recording, and this is Friday, April 10th at 10 in the morning, <laughs> right. um, we're trying to do these, you know, actually recording them the day that we're putting them out because it literally stuff changes so fast right now. But as of the time of this recording, 
a couple of changes that happened. The EIDL advance, right. uh, which is the up to $10,000 advance that you're supposed to be able to apply for as a 1099 contractor, as a business owner, as a limited liability company, you know, any entity type really can apply for that. Um, they All they said was up to 10000 but they had never given any guidance whatsoever, uh, the SBA, in terms of right. what, you know, what would the actual amount be. Well, then one of their offices, I believe it was in Connecticut or something, did, yeah, I think it was Boston. Or Boston. There you go. They did put that out that it was going to be a thousand dollars per employee that you have on payroll up right. to ten thousand um, dollars. Also, it was supposed to be distributed within three day, three business days. I don't know about you, Patty. I have not yet seen or heard a report of any business owner receiving these funds. I know our business has not. I have. I, I applied a week ago. I have not. And and nor have I heard anything. Um, Same. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, again, I think they asked one of the senators that was on the financial, you know, uh, committee or whatever finance committee, and and he said, you know, due to overwhelming demand, it has slowed, you know, this program or whatever. It's yeah. Like, well, what right? did you, you know? What did you think was going to happen when you said everyone out there that has a business of any kind can get can get ten grand? You know. Exactly. Anyway, so who knows? Um, I I will be ecstatic if m- any money is paid out within thirty days. That'd be amazing. Um, mm-hmm. then the, the other change or the other thing I just want to be clear about is we did talk on our recent, um, you know, and again, if you missed the live event, you can go to, to, uh, youtube.com slash CC sales pro and it's still the most recent video. Um, and so you can go there. It was like a two hour event, but we did talk about the payroll protection program, uh, right. and the fact that independent contractors in meaning independent agents can apply for this payroll protection program where you could get potentially two and a half months worth of your normal income uh, for free, basically as a grant from the government. Um, So you want to look into that. However, let me just say right now, the only lending institutions that are really doing this is local banks. Yes. And unfortunately, what we found is local banks are not yet ready to accept applications from 1099 contractors. Um, and so even and the other thing is, is that credit unions <clears throat> are in a real jam with this. Um, yes, I, re- I reached out to my credit union and they're like, we don't even have the um, capability to do that at this point. Exactly. And that. So the problem is that the application paperwork is all requiring like form 940 or 944, which is a W-2 payroll form for showing your right. entire payroll for 2019. And, you know, a 1099 contractor is not going to have something like that. And again, I did read the actual 30 page ruling from the SBA to the lenders. And it mm-hmm. does stipulate that you can use a 1099 miscellaneous, um, you know, form uh, as proof of, you know, income to calculate your average, uh, you know, payroll for this payroll protection program. So I want to you know be clear that as of right now, 1099 contractors absolutely do qualify for this program. Unfortunately, there just aren't any lenders that I'm aware of right now at the time of this recording who are actually accepting those applications. Right. Um, right. And so that's okay. Don't get freaked out about that. There's literal there's three hundred and fifty billion dollars here. There's plenty of money. If that runs out, I would be shocked if the government I mean, they're already trying to add more money. They just have a, they have a bill right now for that the Republicans put up for two hundred and fifty billion in additional funding and the Democrats said that's not enough. So right. I'm I'm not you know, they're, they're going to have funding for this. They're going to have funding yeah. for sure. I think you and just it's need to just wait gonna a week. take a lot more time than people you know, it's yeah. not gonna I think that we had a lot of uh, optimism that it, that the spigot was going to open up last Friday and everybody would be whole by this Friday. And it's just, 
Right. Well, my 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 hope was that they would at least get the ten thousand advance out. You know what I mean? Because right. the, because right. the form was so generic, it was like I don't even know what they're checking on. I mean, oh, just, I know. I it was yeah. like I, a friend of mine said, "How long did it take you to fill it out?" And I said, 20 minutes." Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I think I was hoping that that would be, get going. And again, I'm still hopeful that'll get going a little bit quicker. But um, I think the advice for of these programs as far as for the agents and the ISOs would be um, definitely go ahead and get your application in for the EIDL advance. You do that on the SBA website, sba.gov. Um, the payroll protection program, um, if you have an entity, if you're a limited liability company, if you have employees, you want to look into it, you want to apply now. Um, right. If you are an, an independent contractor, take a breath. It might be another week before anybody's willing to accept your application. Yeah, yeah. And just be patient. Yep. Okay, well, so let's go on to the to the second thing I wanted to bring up, online ordering yes. for delivery or pickup. I mean, this is the new normal for millions of Americans. Yes. And it can keep sales flowing for a large expanse of merchants. You know, and, and if this is not part of your product suite, it should be. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, sure. uh, I've, had a, I've had a few people uh, reach out to me this week. We want to, you know, we have the solution for online ordering. We want to get it out to restaurants. Can you help us? you know, create a, a, some messaging around this. Right. Um, a lot of people are jumping on this. If you're not yet, you need to be doing it. Um, cash discounting, you know, in, you know, implement a cash discounting program to help slash your payment processing costs. You know, consumers understand that it costs merchants money to incur, uh, you know, they incur expenses accepting card payments. And, and and consumers are in a you know really willing to help. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, with you know, I ordered takeout for delivery this week because I want to make sure my restaurant, my favorite restaurant, is still in business when this is all over. Exactly. Um, so yep. you know, I think that uh, people are really you know stepping up to the plate if they can to help small businesses. Yep. Cash discounting if you're not if you're not offering it. You need to be offering it to your merchants for sure. Uh, the big thing I think is contactless payments. You know whether that's a tap and go card or a mobile device like an Apple Pay. I mean that's gaining so much favor with consumers who want to just stay safe. You know they don't want to touch sure. those buttons. They don't want to run their cards through a, through, you know, or dip their cards into a slot where fifty other cards have been dipped in the last hour. Um, you know, and if you're not able to support contactless payments now, you know, you really need to. I mean, all of the major banks are now issuing EMV chip cards that support contactless. Right. So, sure. um, and and all the merchants out there should be able to accept them. Yep. Uh, another big thing, I think, is offering gift cards. Again, this goes to the goodwill in the marketplace. Uh, you know, there's a lot of advertising campaigns out there. I, I was listening to, I have a favorite radio station I listen to from upstate New York. Every day they're running ads, support your local businesses. We need to keep these guys alive. Right. Yep. And, and gift cards are a great way to do that. Uh, and they don't have to be, you know, plastic cards. They can be digital gift cards. Um, leverage social media tools, you know, at a minimum, you're going to want a Facebook page that's continuously updated. And just today, Facebook announced that it's offering free templates to businesses uh, to set up their Facebook pages and communicate with their uh, with their merchant uh, to communicate with their customers. Sure. 
you know, sending out emails and text messages, thanking customers for their business, maybe offering special, you know, discounts or so forth. And another thing I think is important is if you have employees, encourage them to promote your business through their social media contacts. Right. I mean, after all, their jobs depend on it. Yep, you know? for sure. And, and if you can, you know, if you have 10 employees, each with uh, Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts, you know, the, 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 the uh, effect of mass, you know, it's, it's, it's better than you sending out an email to a hundred right, people, right. having 10 people send out 10 emails exactly. to their friends. Sure. You know, people listen to what their friends have to say. Yep. And then also I think, um, and again, this applies to merchants as well as ISOs and agents take advantage of free virtual resources. You know, there's Zoom, Skype, Google Hangouts. These are just some of the resources that are available, and they're free. And they can help you uh, meet with clients uh, or even manage your employees who might be re working remotely. Right. You know, uh, right. I could see conceivably, you know, setting up a Zoom meeting or a Google Hangouts meeting with prospects. For sure. You know, why not? It's free. And you're sitting, you know, you can't. A lot of states, you can't be going out to door to door. Uh, a lot of people are doing telephone sales. I think that's great, but this might be an added, to, you know, something that you could add to your arsenal. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, and I think Patty, I think on the sales side of all this, I think it really comes back to creativity. Yes. Um, this is not a time for the same old, same old, you know, if you want to be successful right now, you're going to have to get really, really creative. You mentioned the zoom meetings. I think that's a great idea. I think, you know, if you're a salesperson out there and you're like, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I have sales ability. Okay. How can you get three qualified prospects a day on a zoom meeting with you? Yes. How would you do that? Again, right. you're going to have to get creative. If you call and say, I want to save you money on credit card processing. Can I send you a Zoom meeting? They're going to say no. So right. why should they get on a Zoom meeting with you? I don't know the answer to that. Like you have to figure out, you know, and you know, is it a free demo of a, of a point of sale system or a marketing solution? Is it, mm -hmm. you know what, like, you know, is it a free consultation about something that they care about right now? You have to figure out what that is, but you've got to get really creative right now. Yeah, and and you know I don't think this this industry lacks for creativity. No, I mean it's just well, and it's interesting. I agree, but then I also would say a lot of the salespeople and the direct sales team managers in this industry, it's not that they're not creative people, but it's that they haven't had to be creative uh, yes, very much yes. lately. Right. Um, you know, right. they've got their sales process and it's just been working, and now they're like, well, I guess we'll sit at home until this is over. Well, what if it takes three more months? You know, like mm -hmm. how long are you going to sit there? So you might want to, you know, start transitioning and, and uh, shifting your sales process a little bit to something more creative. Yes, I agree. Good stuff, Patty. Yeah. So let me just uh, remind everybody if they want to use this, uh, this template, ccsalespro.com slash COVID email, no dashes, no anything, just ccsalespro.com slash COVID email. Good selling. Awesome. Thanks, Patty. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, 
ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiLoop program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So Patty, of course, there are a lot of salespeople out there who are making this transition from selling face-to-face to selling over the phone. Right. And um, and even in social media and things like this. Um, what I want to talk about today, just very briefly, is this concept of the two-phase sales approach. The two-phase sales approach. Mm-hmm. Understanding this is really, in my opinion, this is really the key for a salesperson to make this transition from face-to-face to phone sales or even social media. The thing they need to understand is that when you go out face-to-face, it really feels like one sales process. You know, right. I sure. meet them face-to-face, I talk to them for a while, we small talk, I get them interested, then I show them my you know proposal tool or, you know, like it's all this one kind of conversation. Correct. Um, what people need to understand when it comes to selling over the phone or selling through social media, any of these creative, you know, stay at home type options, you have to understand that there are two distinctly different phases to making a sale. The first phase is like lead generation. So I call it the qualification step because we talked about right, this before, right. but the idea is you, you're generating leads. Now, this is a very, very different process, and frankly, this is really where all of the creativity comes into play. So, mm-hmm. you know, this could be you start a, a private Facebook group and you're calling people to invite them to come join your group to stay up to date on information and, you know, right, with right. other local mm-hmm. businesses. Um, that's a lead. You know, you've got information from them. You're connected with them. That's a longer term lead. You're not really going to be able to follow up with them for probably a few weeks because you're going to have to engage with them in the group. Um, right. But that's that's the idea of a lead. Um, it could be something as simple as you're reaching out and encouraging people that, hey, during this time when you're basically closed for business as a fine dining restaurant, haven't you been wanting to replace that POS system for the last 10 years? You know, um, right, right. there's all these new solutions. The problem has always been, hey, I can't shut my restaurant down for three or four days to get the system installed and the, the switching costs. Um, now you can. Now you can. You're shut down anyway. Why don't we go ahead and get this set up? We'll work out social distancing to make sure that our technician comes in when, you know, there's nobody else there or what, you know, like we can work this out. So, right. you know, so the idea there might be you're calling and you're talking to them about your your amazing financing option that's available, potentially available to them if they qualify. And so you want to see if they're interested in it so you can see if they qualify for it. Um, right. And then the next step would be if they qualify, then you're going to do a demo with them of the software. Um, then you move into this kind of sales process. But the idea here is it's a, it's separate stages. So you have to look at the lead generation side as its own Thing. A lot of salespeople right now are struggling because they're like, James, I don't know how to, how do I make sales on the phone? Well, you make sales on the phone the same way you make sales face to face, really. That part of the process of closing a deal 
is actually not that different. There's a little bit of a challenge with the paperwork, and we can talk mm-hmm. about that maybe next week. But you know, you you definitely have to get the paperwork done. Make sure you're on the phone with them when they go through the paperwork. But as far as having that sales conversation with them and this kind of conversational approach that you're used to, that's pretty much the same on the phone. The difference is you have to get a lead first, then have that conversation. Right. So if you're trying to figure out how do I make sales on the phone, well, what I would say is there's actually you need to split that into two questions. Question number one is how do I generate leads with phone calls or with social media or Facebook ads or whatever? How Mm -hmm. do I generate leads of people who have shown some type of interest? They've agreed to get my email. They've agreed to do a demo, whatever it is. How do I generate leads through the phone? And then separately from that, now what is my process to close those sales and get the paperwork done? So if you separate those two things out, you can leverage your creativity much more effectively. If you're trying to make one fluid, like continuous sales process, it's it's really not going to work very well. Yeah, sure. So there you go. I hope that a lot of you out there are trying these new things out. I mean, again, realize, you know, it, it literally might take you. I mean, remember when you first started, uh, you know, selling merchant services out door to door? You probably didn't make five sales your first week. You know, mm-hmm. you probably didn't mm-hmm. make five sales your first month. Well, the thing is, how much longer do you want to delay this learning process? Are you right. really willing to bet your future income on the fact that the economy is just going to open back up and in a few weeks all of our leaders are going to say, you know what, we just want everybody to go back to normal. If a million people die as a result, we're okay with that now. Do you really yeah. think that's what's going to happen? That's not what's going to happen. It's not what, no, it's not. It's going to this- open up in stages. You know? and, and, and and that's the thing. I mean, the thing about this business is people are – a lot of people in this business are adaptable. Yes. And you, we need to adapt not just to the current situation but to the future. Right. You know, and, and what we're going through now is probably not an aberration. You know, the, the tools that you develop now will serve you well in the long term. Absolutely. And so I, I think the key, Patty, it's like what I really wanted to get across today, you know, number one is this two-phase sales approach. And the other thing right. is just I'm noticing this 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 difference where you have really right now you have, you know, these kind of two or three different approaches mentally that our salespeople and sales teams as well are going through. Some of mm-hmm. them are literally like, you know, we've got plenty of money. We're fine. We're just going to wait this thing out. Um, I again, I say congratulations to you. I respect your opinion. I, I'm uh, you know excited that you have that level of success. I would. And I ha- wish you well. Absolutely. I yeah. would I would caution just a little bit though because mm-hmm. understand that the skills and the technology and the things that are going to be developed by your competitors during this time are going to give you a disadvantage if you unplug you know for three to four months during a time of enormous change and you're not plugged into that that's a disadvantage right. so just be aware maybe you can it's afford like, that you know that's, go you great. think about it like the kid who's in school right you're in school you. You decide uh, your parents give you a chance to go to Europe for a month. Right. And then you come back, you know, and oh my God, what do you mean? What are we what are we talking about in algebra? I never I, right. I don't know what this exactly. is all about. Right? Exactly. Isn't it kind of a similar it type is. of thing, James? It's like it is. Yeah. You gotta be continuously learning and adapting. You do. And and I think that's the key. And and I think then I'm seeing other salespeople where they are they really want to do something, but their fear of this unknown 
for them is like holding them back and like, you know, I think if I wait long enough, you know, just if I think May 1st, that's when it's all going to be back to normal. Yeah. Like, like, no, it's not this right. What, what you're experiencing right now, your life is going to have some version of this for quite a while. Now, again, yeah. hopefully we get back to some version of more like normal. And of course, we will obviously at some point, they'll, you know, uh, we'll get back to fully normal, hopefully. But but the idea would be it may take a while, maybe maybe a year from now. We're still having conversations about issues and so certain business types that are struggling to get back up and going. So there, this is a changing thing. And so the question is. How long are you going to wait to start your learning curve? Because whenever you finally do jump on the phone, whenever you finally do decide to look at Facebook ads, whenever you finally do decide to start that Facebook group, you're not going to be very good at it because it's a new thing. Like that's where people like that's how human beings are. We're not like we're not robots. You just stick a program in and then it's like, boom, we're amazing. We have to learn stuff. We have to do trial and error. So, and this is a great time to be learning. Absolutely. Let the government pay you to learn. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So, you know, that you have these stimulus packages, take advantage of that now and leverage that time to learn the new skills uh, that you need to learn for this new reality that we're currently facing. And again, I'm not trying to be, you know, dire and all this of like, oh, it's, you know, going to be terrible forever. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying our reality has changed in case you haven't noticed. Right. And, and, and because we really don't know how long the reality will be changed, we don't know what ex- to what extent it will be changed moving forward. We don't know to what extent consumer behavior has just fundamentally changed right. as a result of this. I mean, right. let's face it. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of consumers out there that didn't like to buy stuff online, and that is now the only way they can buy stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. consumer behaviors are changing. So it's time for you to potentially re-engage your brain a little bit and think about this and let's get going and let's start that new learning curve. I know you don't want to because you're so good at face-to-face sales, but you can't maybe do that right now. So it's time for you to go ahead and start the learning curve on the next thing and let's come out of this thing stronger and better than ever. You know, it, it kind of, when you were talking, James, it, it made me think about, uh, you know, Darwin, right? <laughs> Sure. Survival of the species. Yes. You know what survival Darwin said about the survival of the species applies to businesses as, as well. Adaptability. It's it, all about adaptability. It is. It, absolutely. It's it's a competition, and I think I think what's what's dangerous in an industry like ours is you can start to get comfortable. You know, I've got my residual. It's going to come back. You know, all this, and you can start to get comfortable. And the next thing you know, you're not embracing change. You're not moving forward. You're not on the offense. And if you're mm-hmm. not careful, you're going to forget that you're in a competition. Yeah. And you're going to yeah. forget that there's going to be people who are going to win and there are going to be people who are going to lose. Yeah. Do you want to lose or do you want to win? So right. be careful. I know you've got that 15,000 a month, you've got that 20,000 a month, you've got that 8,000 a month, you've got that residual. Congratulations. But what's it going to be next month? You know, mm-hmm. you, what's what's going to happen when we come out of this and all of your clients are looking for how do I get prepared for the next time this happens? Right. You know, right. and all of a sudden your competitors know exactly what to say because they're working right now. You're not. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. be careful again. Congrats to you if you're successful enough and you, know, you can spend that extra time with your family right now. I think that's great. I'm I've been taking t- uh, a day and a half off every week right now um, during the week, plus the weekends and spending more time with my family as well. Um, but three and a half days of the week, I am on the offense um, and you've got to move forward um, if you really want to win long term. So agreed. Thanks, James. That's great. Great advice. Thanks, Patty. Hey, everybody. Have a terrific day. Be safe, be healthy, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. 
Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.